Hello, this is Maya. And I'm Tyler. And we are... From... Murder, Murder on, on the, the Mind. Mind. Ooh, we're so fancy. On Murder on the Mind, we talk about uh, serial killers, we talk about ghosts, basically... Everything that makes you scared or cringe, and maybe with a soft laugh. Yeah, we're talking about hard subjects with soft laughs, you know what I'm saying? Alright, uh, you're listening to Murderish, a true crime podcast where Jamie tells stories of murder and features interviews with people from the true crime community. Now, listening to Murderish doesn't make you a murderer, it just makes you murderish. Enjoy the show! Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Murderish. I've been really looking forward to this episode and was so excited about the great response from you guys. Today is going to be a Q&A session where I answer a bunch of listener-submitted questions. You guys really came through with some great questions that put me to work. I really had to think long and hard about some of them. Some of the questions are related to true crime and the podcast, and some are more personal. I'll answer all the questions here on this episode today. I want to say congrats to the listeners who won the Murderish Swag Contest a while back. Luella Chavez, Jen Michael, Jamie Trevino, and Melissa Holtz. I hope you all received your Murderish t-shirts. Thank you to everyone who participated in the contest and left positive reviews for the show. You guys always come through with support and I appreciate it so much. Positive ratings and reviews are very helpful to the podcast because it makes the show easier to find for people when they're searching for podcasts. I also want to say a big thank you to some of the recent Patreon supporters of the show, Krista Funk and Stat Podcast. I really appreciate your support for the show. Thank you so much. So, you guys know I recently attended CrimeCon in Nashville. It's basically a convention for people who are into true crime. Kind of like Comic-Con, but it's for true crime addicts like you and me. There were breakout sessions hosted by big names in the true crime community like Nancy Grace, Jim Clemente, Laura Richards, Jim Fitzgerald, Paul Holes, the cast of Dateline, and so many more. I actually met Jim Fitz the day the interview with him dropped, so that was really, really cool. There were also tons of true crime podcast hosts and listeners there, which was the main reason I wanted to go. I did my best to share my CrimeCon experience with you guys by going live on Facebook and posting pictures and videos in the Murderish Facebook group. Needless to say, I had a freaking blast at CrimeCon, and I am forever changed after my night out with Josh Mankiewicz and Keith Morrison from Dateline. I captured some of it with pictures and a Facebook Live session on our Uber ride back to the hotel. My friend Simone from Murderous Miners podcast went with me, and it was definitely an unforgettable night. If you haven't watched it already, there's a Facebook Live video in the Murderish Facebook group that I think you'll enjoy. Manx and Keith were such good sports, and Keith showed us a close-up of his really cool shoes. Okay, I've run my mouth enough, so let's get into the Q&A. Francesca Annabella asked, if you could interview anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? So my answer to that would be Dawn, which was Heyman Lee's boyfriend when she was killed. And I would also like to talk to Rob Kardashian in hopes that he'd be honest with me about OJ's role in Nicole and Ron's death. Bryn Mecklem wanted to know, what criminal would you most like to interview? 
I really would like to interview the stranger who followed me home and came into my bedroom. I told that story in an episode of Murderish, which I think you guys have all listened to by now. I want to interview him because first of all, I want to know who the hell he is. And I really want to know what his motive was. Why did he follow me home? Why did he come into my bedroom? What were his intentions? It's just such a crazy thing. And it it bugs me to this day that he hasn't been caught or maybe he has been caught for another crime that I'm not aware of, but I just want to know who he is. And I would love the opportunity to talk to him. I'd also want to interview Aaron Mercado, who is one of the killers of Justin Hopper. And I told that story on Murderish as well. It bothers me to this day, that murder. I mean, every murder bothers me, but that one especially because there was just no motive. There just does not seem to be any motive for why they wanted to kill Justin. So I would want to ask Aaron, what made you do it? Why did you follow through? So yeah, those would be the two that I'd want to talk to. Francesca Annabella again asks, how old were you when you began your interest in true crime? I was young. I mean, probably in elementary school. I would follow murder trials on the TV with my mom. uh, And in high school, I remember reading true crime books about serial killers and other true crimes. I didn't have a cell phone back then. So I remember bringing a book called Smoked uh, to read during a session of Saturday school. Guess I got into trouble. And so I had to do Saturday school. So I brought the book Smoked with me and I finished it uh, within four hours uh, while I was at Saturday school. And it was just fascinating to me. It's it's about two boys from Pasadena who shot and killed three of their female friends. So I guess that just kind of tells you I, I've had an interest in true crime uh, from a very young age. I've always been reading books on it. Then, you know, of course, along came the OJ trial and the rest is history. Veronica Moreno asks, what podcast did you start listening to first? And my answer is serial, probably like a lot of you. And the way that came about was about four or five years ago, I had a really hellish commute uh, into Beverly Hills every day for work. And um, for those who are familiar with the LA area, commuting into Beverly Hills is probably one of the worst commutes out there. And I was just so frustrated when I walked into work every day because I, you know, it took me like an hour and 45 minutes to get to work. And a friend of mine at work said, well, have you listened to podcasts? And I was like, well, what the heck is a podcast? And so it began. I mean, I immediately downloaded Serial um, based on his recommendation and I was completely hooked. And since then I've just binged on so many great podcasts. But yeah, Serial was the one that started it all. Bryn Mecklem wants to know, do you believe in the death penalty? And I hate to be so wishy-washy, but you know, my answer is kind of back and forth, really. I mean, I used to wholeheartedly believe in the death penalty because if I put myself in the victim's shoes, of course, I can understand that putting their loved one's killer to death brings maybe some form of relief for them. So I totally get that. But there's also so many flaws uh, in the system with regard to the death penalty and I wonder if there are other ways that we could punish these criminals. I mean, maybe more of like a psychological punishment. This is probably not enough at all. There needs to be other punishment as well. But, you know, I wonder if there's something that we could do to punish these criminals that would force them to think about their victims and their victims' families on a daily basis. For example, maybe every day they're forced to write a letter Uh, And I don't know where the letter would go, but they're forced to write a letter to and talk about their victims so that they're reminded every single day that that victim was a real person. I wonder if that could be something. And then I also wonder if we could force these killers to work in the prisons, you know, that they have to spend their time in 
they could work towards some charity that has something to do or some relation to the person that they killed. For example, maybe if they raped somebody and killed them, maybe they could work every day toward a nonprofit that helps victims of rape, you know, or maybe uh, if it was an instance of domestic violence, maybe, you know, the killer could work toward a nonprofit that has something to do with helping victims of domestic violence and so on, something like that. Again, I don't know what the right answer is. To be honest, I go back and forth all the time on the death penalty. I guess my answer would be, I think it needs fixing um, for me to be both feet in on that. So that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but um, I struggle with that one a lot. So great question. Uh, Veronica Moreno asks, do your episode downloads include the people who are subscribed and already get the episode downloaded automatically? And yes, it does include those people who are subscribed to the podcast. And in fact, you know, that is why podcasters always encourage listeners to hit the subscribe button and not just to download, you know, one episode at a time, because if you hit subscribe, it's great for us as podcasters, because then I believe we get counted for downloads for every single episode that we've put out because they're automatically downloaded to your phone all at once. And it's great for you guys too, because if you love a podcast, you want to hit the subscribe button so that you get all the episodes automatically and you don't have to go and download them one by one. So yeah, the answer is yes. And um, if you haven't subscribed to Murderish, I would ask that you do, because that would be really helpful. Jesse Moore asks, how do you decide what you want to do an episode on? And typically I'm geared toward covering murders that happen near me, basically murders that I knew about when I was younger, but never really knew exactly what happened. So that's kind of where I started. So for example, you know, the Justin Hopper murder and the Christy McKendall murder, those murders happened in my hometown and I always knew about them and they would always pop into my head from time to time. And I always really wanted to know what happened. So I definitely knew that I wanted to cover those stories, which I did. And, you know, sometimes I get ideas from listeners. Uh, so a lot of times listeners will message me on Facebook or shoot me an email and say, hey, I've got a case that maybe you'd be interested in covering. And in fact, I'm working on a listener submitted story as we speak. I've been working on it for quite a while. It's taking much longer than expected, but I do appreciate suggestions. I think as I've done a few episodes of Murderish Now, I've decided that the stories that I really want to cover are the ones where either I have some connection to because it's just more interesting for me to cover when I have some connection to it, like either I lived nearby or I knew somebody involved or something like that, or I like to cover murders where I can get a deeper perspective from, say, somebody who knew the victim. So for example, you know, the Justin Hopper murder, I got to get the perspective of one of his very close friends who you all heard from in the episode. And I think that just gives you, the listener, a more 3D perspective of the story versus me just telling you a story that's one-dimensional and I have no perspective from somebody who knew the victim or even somebody who knew the killer because I think that they can add a lot of insight too and maybe give us a little bit of information or insight into the killer's mind and maybe what may have driven them to kill. So those are the stories that I like to tell, but, you know, as you all know, I've had some, some interviews on Murderish, which when I launched Murderish, I had no idea that it was going to be an interview podcast as well. I mean, I knew I wanted to do some interviews here and there, but I had no idea that it really would turn into 
kind of half and half and interview a true crime like interview podcast as well as like a murder storytelling podcast. And I have enjoyed these interviews so much. I had no idea that this would ever be something that I really liked doing, but I've discovered as I've done a handful of interviews on the podcast that it's something I love doing and I really want more. So I hope that you all have enjoyed the interviews because I think that you can expect more of that down the road. But the murder stories and the true crime related stories, the murder-ish stories, they're not going away. I'm going to continue doing those as well. So that was a very long answer, but great question, Jesse. And by the way, Jesse, you spell your name exactly like my sister does with an I and uh, no E. Veronica Moreno asks two questions to OJ. What would they be? Well, I've got a lot of questions for OJ Simpson, but one of them would be, I would ask OJ and I would, I'm doing this under the assumption that OJ would be forced to be truthful with me in some weird world where we could force him to be truthful. But one of my questions would be, what are the exact steps that you've taken to find Nicole's killer? Because as you all know, he vowed to never stop looking for Nicole's killer. And I just don't see that he's done that. I think he's full of shit. And I'd want to know what exact steps that he's taken to find her killer. My second question to OJ would be, what were Ron and Nicole's last words before you killed them? And the reason why I would want to know that is because I would just want to force OJ to think about his victims and realize that they're real human beings who said words to him as they were dying. And I don't really want to know what their last words were, but I think I would just want to ask OJ a question that would make him feel something and and remember that those were real people with real families that he killed. Veronica Moreno asks, what is your favorite type of wine? So my answer is in the summer when it's warm, I like to drink Sauvignon Blanc. And when it's cold in the winter, I like to drink a cab, a red wine, because I don't know, red wine just always warms me up, but I don't have any particular brand. I mean, I typically, when I buy wine, I'm not super bougie. I can't do the two buck chuck because it gives me a headache. But I mean, when I'm buying wine, it's like 10 to $15 a bottle, something like that. But I do love a good glass of wine. Brittany K asks, how did you come up with the name Murderish for the podcast? You know, I really, just in the way, in my normal language, I always tend to put an ish at the end of a lot of words in my normal vocabulary. You know, for example, I might say, hey, I'll see you at the party. I'll be there around one-ish. Or, you know, I just, I put an ish at the end of a lot of words. So that kind of is part of it. I originally wanted to call the podcast Let's Talk Murder, but I didn't love the name. Then I started thinking about a word that describes my love of true crime and the word murderish just popped into my head. I was thinking of the word murderous at the time, but obviously I'm not a murderer, so that word wouldn't describe me accurately. So then I thought of the word murder-ish as sort of a play on the word murderous. Plus, I liked that murderish leaves room to discuss topics that don't necessarily involve murder. So I could discuss murder-ish topics like disappearances and other creepy events. Then I started to say to myself at that point, I'm not a murderer, I'm just murder-ish. And that just stuck. And um, to this day, I really, I like the name. I think it describes the podcast accurately. It describes me accurately. So anyway, that's kind of how I came up with it. Tracy Carnes Davis asks, is there a true crime story that you can't listen to, read, or watch on TV because it's too much or too personal for you? There is a case that I avoid whenever I see it on the news and that I will probably never tell on the podcast, 
because as a mother, I just can't avoid picturing my own child in that situation. And it's very, very difficult to get through. And when I see it flash on the news from time to time, because there's been some recent uh, updates, I, I have to change the channel or look away or mute it because it's just, it's so painful. And it's the Gabriel Fernandez case out of Palmdale, California. Uh, it's definitely one that I, I just refuse at this point to do a deep dive on because I just know I can't handle it emotionally. It, it's a terrible, terrible story. Um, some of you may have heard of it, but that's definitely one that would just hurt too much. And I don't think I'll be telling it, you know, anytime soon on the podcast. Veronica Moreno asks, would you have your husband or any other family member do a guest spot on an episode of Murderish? And my answer to that is yes, definitely. You all are going to be hearing from my mom on an upcoming episode of Murderish because as you'll recall, my mom was featured on the Stranger in My Bedroom episode where the guy followed me home and came into my bedroom. Uh, and so she and I actually got on the phone recently and chatted about it and she gave me her perspective. I mean, we've obviously talked about it together, but it's not something that comes up often. So it was fun to kind of get on the phone with her and compare notes and see what her thoughts were about that night. And so anyway, that conversation has actually already been recorded. Um, I just haven't put it out there for you guys to listen to, but I will be doing that. It'll either be like a bonus episode or a regular episode, but you guys will definitely be hearing from my mom. And uh, my husband's a huge basketball fan, and there are some interesting uh, cases involving NBA basketball players, and I've considered covering those. So if I do, I'd love to collab with my husband on those cases because his second language really is basketball talk. It's all, He eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball, uh, specifically the Clippers. But that said, I'm a little worried about what might come out of my husband's mouth on the podcast because he's not known for always being appropriate. So we'll see. I'll probably have to give him some rules uh, and regulations before we record. <laughs> and in fact, I just looked at my text messages and my husband sent me a really weird gif that I won't take the time to explain, but it just further evidences that he's a freaking weirdo. And I just don't trust what would come out of his mouth on the podcast. So we'll see. Tara Lugo asks, what got you hooked on true crime? I've always been interested in what makes people tick. I think that's the reason I, I watch reality TV. It gives you a glimpse into people's lives and what motivates them, what upsets them, and really just kind of how their brain works. I'm so fascinated by the psych of killers. I want to get inside their brain and understand what's different about their brain versus the average human being's brain and why they're able to kill and not have any empathy, you know, for their victims. It's just fascinating for me. So I don't know what got me hooked on true crime. I just know that from an early age, I have been fascinated by it. And um, I think in another life, I would have been a homicide detective. Luella Chavez asks, what was the first big case you remember being interested in? I remember being very interested in the Richard Ramirez case or the Night Stalker because he was local to where I was living at the time. And I was terrified. Like everybody in the area, I would go to bed thinking that he was going to hit my house next. So I was fascinated. And then watching him, you know, in court, I mean, the guy's a total a-hole and totally disgusting, but it fascinated me as a young, I think I was a teenager at the time, maybe, maybe even younger. I, I, Got to look back and see what dates, you know, all that happened. But 
yeah, the Night Stalker fascinated me. And then the OJ Simpson trial, of course. I mean, I remember watching that on a daily basis with my mom. I remember being in summer school at the time and our teacher stopped everything so that we could all hear the verdict being read. And that case totally fascinated me, especially because DNA evidence was kind of on up and coming. And um, there was so much DNA evidence. And my mom who was uh, either in law school or a lawyer at the time would explain to me, you know, what DNA evidence was. And I was fascinated that they had so much of it and they couldn't get a conviction. So those two cases definitely sparked a lot of interest in true crime. I mean, it was always there before, but um, those definitely, you know, intensified it. Summer Deanne Parker asks, what got you over the anxiety hump of just going for it and launching a podcast? And she went on to say, She's been thinking of doing a YouTube Instapot channel for a while, but she just can't get over the fear of putting herself out there. So for me, the desire to launch a podcast got so strong that I just honestly had no choice but to go for it. I've always been someone who can become obsessed with certain ideas. And once I get to that point, nothing can stop me and I move really, really fast. And that's exactly what I did with regard to murderish. When I finally decided I wanted to go for it, I went to the school of YouTube and Google and I learned how to go about doing it, you know, just really just by going online and doing research. So Summer, I definitely encourage you to step outside your comfort zone and and just do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, millions of people subscribe to a YouTube channel where a lady just eats food on camera. And I mean, I'm pretty sure she's got like millions of subscribers. So there's definitely an audience out there for you, and they'd probably love to see what you can create with your Instapot. So I think you'd be surprised at how many people would watch your channel. Another thing that sparked me uh, to launch the podcast was being invited onto um, the Juicy Scoop podcast with Heather McDonald as a guest, um, because you know once I was featured on her podcast, a lot of her listeners were so supportive, and a lot of them suggested you know for me to start my own true crime podcast. I had already been thinking about it, but uh, being on her podcast and just really getting support from her listeners was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed to to actually execute my plan. And I'm pretty sure I launched Murderish maybe about a month after I was on Juicy Scoop. Jen Michael asks, what do you like best about your podcast? The relationships I've built along the way are what I like best about the podcast, not only with like-minded people like you guys, but also with other podcasters who have become my personal friends at this point. As far as murderish specifically, I really just love telling stories that involve topics I'm passionate about. That's one of my favorite parts as well, that I just get to tell stories about true crime. Most people around me aren't murderish like me, so telling stories on the podcast is kind of a release for me, and I know that the people listening are just as passionate about it as I am. Carrie Moore asks, Is there any true crime story that you wouldn't cover and why? Just kind of going back to a previous question, I wouldn't at this point want to cover the Gabriel uh, Fernandez story because it's just takes me to such a dark place and I'm just not ready for that at this point. I mean, with that case, I truly almost have to put it on a shelf and pretend it doesn't exist uh, as a coping mechanism because it's just so, so terrible. Bryn Mecklem asks, what criminal do you find attractive just based on looks? That's a great question. And I really want to give an honest answer to it, but the truth is, I don't recall ever being attracted necessarily to any criminals. Some people think Ted Bundy and Scott Peterson are attractive. I think Ted Bundy is just kind of blah, and I think Scott Peterson just 
looks like a big dork, but that's just me. Um, but I will say I was a huge fan of the show, uh, Sons of Anarchy. And I think Charlie Hunnam, who played Jax, has got to be one of the most attractive people on earth. He was a murderer on TV. So that kind of counts, right? So I don't know. You guys just Google Charlie Hunnam and let me know if you agree. Jamie Wilson Trevino asks, do you have nightmares after researching for the podcast? I've never been somebody who dreams a lot, good dreams or bad dreams. I can't recall any nightmares about cases I've researched, but most of the cases do stick with me forever. And I think about certain aspects of them randomly just throughout the day. I did dream about Robert Arvizu while I was serving as a juror on the murder trial and not in a good way. In episode one of Murderish, I go over the story of Courtney Arvizu, who was murdered by Robert, her husband, because I was a juror on the trial. And, you know, I mentioned in that episode that the, the courtroom was really small. And so you were in pretty close proximity to everybody. And that includes Robert Arvizu. And just knowing, you know, at some point that he brutally murdered his wife with his bare hands, it was very creepy to see him, to be near him. Like I said on, on the first episode of Murderish, where I talked about the story, is that, you know, he has these deep set eyes and these small teeth. And there were times when he would smile in court and it just creeped me out. And that was kind of what my dream was about uh, the night that I dreamed about him. So, anyway, yeah, I mean, I hope that answers your question. But I do think about the people involved in these cases often, just randomly throughout the day but I don't dream much about them. Kelly Hood asks, could you live in a house where a violent death occurred, like an untimely death, murder, suicide, bloody crime scene, etc.? And then she gives a side note. She says there's a house on her street that someone was shot in uh, a game of Russian roulette probably like 25 plus years ago. So that is definitely a hard no for me. I just think there are plenty of awesome houses out there that haven't been the scene of a violent death. So I'd definitely pass on any house where a violent death occurred. I just feel like I'd never be able to be 100% comfortable living there. My husband's a bit more into the paranormal than I am, so I already know that he would never live in a house like that. Sky Harvey asks, It always appears that new podcasters are welcomed and mentored by podcasters in the community. If any, who provided you advice and support? Did you find there was anyone trying to bring you down or give you the wrong advice? She says, I'm always amazed by people who have jobs and families and then start a podcast. How do you fit it all in? So I have to say the podcasting community is awesome. I've gotten so much support and advice that I never expected to receive when I launched Murderish. Vanessa from The Cleaning of John Doe, Beck from The Minds of Madness, Melissa and Mandy of Moms and Murder all reached out to me very early on and offered support and advice. A while back, I connected with Dina Marie of Twisted Philly. And she's been amazing and supportive. I've gotten close with Carrie Martin of White Wine True Crime and Simone of Murderous Miners, and they are so much fun. The ladies from True Crime Storytime podcast have always been very supportive and they're always so sweet. Mike from Dark Poutine, Jessica from Asian Madness, and Mike Morford of Criminology are all very, very cool and supportive people who I've enjoyed getting to know. I mean, I could go on and on because the pod community really has been amazing. On the other hand, uh, nobody has tried to take me down, so to speak, um, but I did have a run-in. Hi, honey. Hi, Daddy. 
Now I'm gonna get the tiger back. I'm sorry. You're sorry? Yeah. You are? What are you sorry for? I'm, I'm being so rude and mean for the tiger. You had, you had a bad day at school today, honey. But I'm not being nice, so can you give it back? Okay, let me talk to Daddy about it and we'll decide, okay? Okay. All right. Can you give me about 15 more minutes and then I'll come out and talk to you, honey? Okay. Okay. Say yeah. In the oh, of course. Yeah. What do you want to say? Um, I don't know. But you said you wanted to say something. Tell me what I'm going to say. You tell me what you want to say. What, what What would you like to talk about? Marvelous podcast is the best. Woo! <laughs> I got you. Marvelous podcast is the best. <laughs> All right. Stevie. Good job, Stevie. Honey, I can't have you in here because Ben Bama can't record, okay? So I can you would be quiet. I know, baby, but can you go with Sissy for 15 minutes? I'll be out in just a minute, okay? Lipstick? No, thank you. Speakers? No, I don't need those speakers. Thanks, though. Okay, love you. Go with Sissy, okay? I'll be back. I'll be out in a minute. Okay, want the light turn off or on? On, please. And shut the door, please. Nope, on. Thank you. Okay, shut the door, please. Thank you. See you in a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay, where was I? So I was telling you guys. <laughs> so that's the life of a podcaster who has kids. Um, there's never, ever uh, a moment where I can record and don't get interruptions, but it's all good. Okay, so yeah, nobody has tried to take me down. But I did have a run in with another podcaster recently that was not so fun, but you know, that's really been the exception and not the rule. And I'm a big girl and I realize, you know, when you put yourself out there, not everybody's going to agree with what you're doing and that is totally okay. So to answer the other part of the question, as far as producing a podcast along with career and family obligations, it is extremely tough. It takes a lot of time. And there's also the financial aspect and all of that that goes along with the podcast. But as far as the time spent, you know, in balancing family, career, podcast, I still have not learned how to successfully balance all of this. Uh, my husband is very active, you know, with our kids. And so he's extremely helpful when I need some time to work on the podcast. My teenage daughter, Drew, she'll kick in, you know, and help take care of Stevie sometimes when I need to record or research or write. But I really have a long way to go regarding a proper balance of all of it. I'm scatterbrained mostly every day. And I really do need to sit down and work out a plan to find a better balance and maybe a little bit of sanity too. Jairo Batista asks, or actually he says, no one is going to ask this. Which podcasts have you listened to and decided after the first episode that it was not for you? And honestly, the answer is many podcasts. You know, I think with you guys probably feel this too. I mean, sometimes you listen to a podcast and you know within like the first you know, a few seconds or a few minutes that it's just not for you. And that's fine. But there's something out there for everybody and everybody has different tastes. But I will say that there are some podcasts that were definitely an acquired taste for me. So for example, S-Town, which is to this day, one of my absolute favorite podcasts. If you guys haven't listened, you should. It was an acquired taste. I think episode, you know, one and two of S-Town were a little bit boring or just kind of dragged a little bit. And you didn't really know what you were getting into, but if you hang in there, it turns into something so unexpected, so beautiful, and it's just a great podcast. So, you know, there's times when 
You just need to hang in there and a podcast you, you know, might grow on you. And also too, some of the podcasts like Murderish, that's not like a serial podcast where you tell one story over a series of, you know, several episodes or any podcast that's just starting out. Sometimes it takes us a while to get our sea legs and work out all the kinks. So a lot of times you'll hear podcasters saying, Hey, just skip, you know, my first four episodes and start with episode five because that's when they really got into their groove. Sometimes it just takes some time, but to answer your question, there are tons of podcasts that I've tried to listen to and just couldn't get through, but there's others that were an acquired taste. And I realized after a couple of episodes that they were some of my favorite podcasts. Tina Sanders says, since you had the experience of a strange man following you home and coming into your room, have you had anything else like this happen to you or a loved one? And the answer is yes. I've had several crazy events happen that are somewhat like the guy following me home and coming into my bedroom. So one of them is about 10 years ago, I had another incident where I came home to find two intruders inside of my house. And it sounds crazy. It was crazy. And I'm definitely going to tell that story on Murderish. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So uh, more to come on that one. But I've also been through an armed bank robbery or a takeover robbery where two guys entered the bank and one of them held a gun on all of us and the other one got the money. And so that is a story that I plan to tell on the podcast as well. And then there was a time I grew up playing softball and I was playing a game at night and I was playing center field, I think at the time. And some kids came up and some words were exchanged. Uh, they were standing outside the fence and they pulled a gun on me. So that's a story that I could tell on the podcast, I guess. It's not very long, but yeah. So I've definitely had some crazy things happen. I don't know why this crap happens to me, but I guess the good thing is that I've got some content for the podcast. So I guess that's a plus. Heather Marshall asks, if you could interview any serial killer or murderer, who would it be and why? I really want to interview some of the killers and the stories I've covered on the podcast, like Aaron Mercado, Ryan Bangs, Rob Arvizu, because I just want answers. I want to know what motivated them. Why did they do this? I would just have tons of questions for them. I've watched so much true crime TV that I don't necessarily have an interest in interviewing infamous killers because I think I'm satisfied, uh, you know, already with what I've learned about them. That said, I would absolutely love to talk to the Zodiac killer since we don't know his motives and um, we also don't know who he is. And, you know, given the recent arrest of GSK or the Golden State Killer, also known as the East Area Rapist, I would really love to interview him as well because, you know, we know some about him, but we don't know everything. So he's somebody I would like to talk to. But if you guys want more information on the Zodiac Killer or Golden State Killer, you really have to subscribe to the Criminology Podcast. It's hosted by Mike Morford and Mike Ferguson, and they have done an excellent job covering these cases, and it really should be the go-to for you guys if you want some info on those infamous serial killers. Fun fact, a former client of a bank I worked for is actually a survivor of the Zodiac Killer. His name is Brian Hartnell, and he was sitting along Lake Berryessa with uh, a female friend of his at the time. And she actually died from her wounds, uh, and Brian survived, um, luckily, but they were both stabbed repeatedly by the Zodiac Killer. Uh, so anyway, that's, um, kind of interesting. Gina Wallace asks, I know you really got into the Adnan Syed serial podcast. What do you believe actually happened to Hay? And 
I have to say, I'm probably more passionate about this case than any other. And I, I, I could explain why it would take forever to tell you why, but I'm very fascinated by it. And I've consumed just about every bit of content relating to this case. And I absolutely feel very strongly that Adnan is not guilty. And I also feel very strongly that Jay and Jen had nothing to do with Hayes' murder. I think Hayes' killer was someone she knew. I think it was someone she was excited to go see after school that day. Without coming right out and accusing someone, because of course, none of us know the truth at this point, I do feel very strongly that police should take another look at Dawn for several reasons, one of them being the falsified timesheets, another one being him not returning detectives' phone calls until about 1.30 in the morning when they actually reached out to him and left him a voice message around 6 p.m., I think, because they were asking about Hay's whereabouts and if he they wanted to know if he knew anything. And I believe Hay was most likely buried during the time police first called Don and the time he ended up calling them back around 1.30 in the morning. So again, I'm not accusing Don, but I do feel strongly that he needs to be re-examined and thoroughly vetted as a potential suspect. As far as what happened to Hay, I believe her killer paged her at school and asked her to meet him somewhere, possibly a hotel. I believe it's possible that her killer made advances toward Hay, which she resisted, uh, and this may have caused him to get angry and, you know, led to him killing her. I believe her body was left laying there on her stomach, I believe. Yeah, I believe she was on her stomach for several hours because that's what the lividity evidence tells us, that she was laying in one position for several hours because lividity did set in. And I think that Hayes Killer was called by the detectives who were inquiring about Hayes' whereabouts, and this is what spooked him, and that's what prompted him to then move uh, Hayes' body to Leakin Park, where he buried her. I think Hayes' murderer had a known connection to Hay, which is why he tried to conceal her body by burying it in Leakin Park versus just dumping it somewhere where it could easily be found. Of course, I can't be sure of any of this. I mean, this is just my best guess as to what may have happened to Heyman Lee. I just really hope for Hayes' sake and for her family's sake, for Adnan and his family's sake, that true justice is served at some point in this case, because I really do feel that an innocent man is sitting in prison, and it's so, so sad to think of what he could have done with his life, you know, over the last, you know, 18, 19 years that he's been sitting in prison. And I think it's very sad for Hayes' family. And this is my opinion, because I think at this point, Hayes' family believes the right person is in prison, but I really think that they need true justice, and I don't think true justice has been served. So, of course, I'll be following along this case. As you all know, there's been some recent updates in Adon's favor, which have been amazing. And so hopefully we'll see him walk out of prison soon, and hopefully we will see Hayes' true murderer uh, walk into prison soon. So we'll see. The next questions are from Perry and Lindsay Johnson of the Pod Stuff podcast. And I just want to stop right here and take a second to tell you guys about some very tragic news that came out regarding Perry recently. And unfortunately, Perry Johnson of the Pod Stuff podcast was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer uh, and it is inoperable. So Perry and Lindsay are great people. I was lucky enough to be interviewed on the Pod Stuff podcast with them a few months back and they're amazing people. They have three children and, you know, nobody deserves to suffer through cancer and uh, Perry definitely doesn't. And I'm thinking about him daily and I want to let you guys know 
that a GoFundMe has been set up for Perry. You can probably Google it and find it under Perry Johnson, or maybe you can find it under Hello Cancer WTF. But either way, you guys, I'm going to post a link to the GoFundMe for Perry um, that's been set up and I'll post that in show notes. So I would encourage if you can uh, to donate to it. They're a great family and just keep them in your thoughts. So the questions that Perry and Lindsay asked, Perry asks, what's your favorite episode of the pod stuff? So I would say my favorite episode so far has been the episode featuring Alyssa Lucas of Best Forever's podcast. Alyssa reached out to me recently and I found her to just to be so sweet and so supportive. So I just had a real interest in getting to know her better, which is why I really enjoyed her interview on the Pod Stuff podcast. And from Lindsay, who's Perry's wife, she asks, will you please move to Texas so we can have regular girls days? And my answer to that is, heck yeah, I'll definitely consider it because I am a huge lover of girls days, especially if it involves adult beverages and laughs. And if I do do that, we'd have to take a trip to Austin because that's a really cool town in Texas. Jamie Wilson Trevino asks, has doing this podcast changed the way you do life day to day? Are you more cautious? And the answer to that is yes and yes. Admittedly, I'm more paranoid and aware of my surroundings because of it. Definitely always locking doors, always looking over my shoulder, always aware of, you know, when I park in a parking lot, you know, that it's well lit and all that, all kinds of things. I'm probably overly paranoid because of my interest in true crime and, you know, doing these uh, cases on the, on the podcast. Augie of the Short Stories of Augie Peterson podcast asks, who is your favorite serial killer and why? I'm very fascinated by BTK. Um, he scares me more than any of them and fascinates me because he maintains such a normal life outside of his murdering spree. I mean, I just imagine his wife sleeping next to him every night and having no clue what her husband's been up to. I'm sure you guys are familiar with BTK. He is a creepy, creepy, disgusting guy, very demented, very sick. I mean, he was a, you know, a high ranking member of his church and he just, everything about him fascinates me. And, you know, I would love to analyze his brain six ways to Sunday because I just want to know exactly how the BTK monster was created. Twyla, who's a loyal listener and supporter of the show, she wants to know what true crime books have you really enjoyed? What is your favorite true crime TV show? So when I was younger, I read A Child Called It, I think in junior high, and that kind of was the beginning of where I started to read true crime uh, books. I also read Smoked, uh, about two Pasadena teenagers who killed three of their female friends. More recently, I read Killing Kennedy by Bill O'Reilly. That was a great book. And then, uh, of course, I've read A Stranger Beside Me about Ted Bundy, and that's an amazing book as well. Some of my favorite true crime TV shows have been the documentaries. I love documentaries anyway about anything. You know, I love food documentaries, true crime documentaries. But two of my absolute favorite uh, true crime documentaries have been The Jinx and The Keepers. I just think they were so captivating and um, I recommend them to everybody. Lately, I've been binging on Murder Chose Me uh, and I've always watched Dateline since I can remember. I also love Kelly Siegler's show, Cold Justice. June, an Instagram follower, says, Do you have a favorite true crime podcast and what is it? What has inspired you to start your own podcast? Yes, I definitely have some favorites, although they do change. My favorites change from week to week or month to month, but I do absolutely have just some go-to podcasts that never let me down and I always listen to. And those would be Court Junkie, S-Town, Serial, Dirty John, 
Accused, and Someone Knows Something. Some of my more recent favorites are Swindled, Insight, Canadian True Crime, and Criminology. But my absolute favorite podcast is actually not true crime related at all. It's How I Built This with Guy Raz, because I love, love, love to hear how people started a business and how they grew it. And um, I love to hear their ideas. And so that is actually my favorite podcast over anything. Brittany Bird asks, does your husband listen to the podcast? If so, what does he think? Is he murderish like us? Besides murder mystery, are you into the paranormal? So no, uh, Steve isn't really into podcasts, although he and I have listened to a few when we're on uh, long road trips together. He really liked Mogul, which uh, we listened to on our way to Kern River for a camping trip. Uh, as far as listening to podcasts on his own, he's constantly on the phone for work when he's driving. So I don't think he even has much dead time to listen to podcasts while he's in the car. Um, Steve isn't really murderish, but as I mentioned before, I think I could get him to collab with me on a podcast if the murder has like a sports element to it, especially basketball. He and I do watch Dateline together pretty often though. I'm not really into the paranormal. I'm such a skeptic. It's hard for me to take it seriously, but I know there are many people who are into it. So maybe there's something to it. Um, but for me, I just haven't really been able to get into it. Oh, and Brittany, I wanted to ask you if you could do me a favor and go back to Lake Berryessa because I've seen photos on Facebook of you guys there before. If you could just go back to Lake Berryessa and snap a photo of the crime scene where the Zodiac Killer struck, that would be amazing. Nikki from Color Me Dead Podcast asks, what serial killer fascinates you the most? And my answer would be BTK. You know, as I mentioned before, just the crazy double life that he was leading just fascinates me. And he also scares me the most out of almost any serial killer. And so for that reason, he fascinates me. Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss says, which famous criminal reminds you most of someone you know in real life? And that's a great question, Kate. Ted Bundy was known to be smart and charismatic, but of course he was living, you know, a nefarious double life that nobody would have ever believed. This is kind of a stretch, but I once had an issue with a client that surprised me because he was one way when I met him, but a completely different way behind my back. And it's probably a story for another day, but let's just say he wasn't at all what he seemed to be. All right, screw it. I'll just tell the story. So I was working at a bank at the time and I had a client, a new client who I was going to take to lunch to get to know him. He was a high-end kind of like VIP client. So I was going to take him to lunch and introduce myself to him um, because I was new uh, to the particular office that he banked out of. Anyway, we went to lunch and he looked like a very conservative guy. He was probably in his 50s. He was a member of his church and he talked a lot about he and his wife, you know, supporting the church and going to church events. Um, he also talked a lot at lunch about various charities he was involved in. So a very nice guy, very polite, all those things. So after our lunch, as I often did when I would meet somebody for the first time, that afternoon I sent him an email just saying, hey, very nice to meet you. Thanks for taking the time, yada, yada, yada. And the next morning I was driving into work and I would always hit traffic. So I probably shouldn't, but I would always check my email, my work email on the way to work. So I picked up my phone, saw an email from this customer. And there was like, you know, when you pick up your phone, you could kind of see a preview of like the first few sentences in the email. 
And it said something like this. It said, Jamie, I am obviously so embarrassed and want to say sorry for what I did. And of course, this perplexed me because I had no idea why he was apologizing. I had no idea why he was sorry for anything because as far as I knew, our lunch went really well. Well, of course, so then I picked up my phone and I read the entire email. Turns out after the lunch that I had with him, he sent an email to the chairman of the board of directors at the bank that I worked for because the chairman of the board of directors happened to be his very best friend. He sent the chairman an email saying something like, I have to, I have to like think about it. He said, if Jamie, oh my God, he's so gross. He said, if Jamie gives me a hand job, I'll bring even more money to the bank. And then he ended his sentence with two of those monkey emojis where the monkey has his hands over his mouth. Like, oops, did I just say that? So obviously the guy's a total perv. He must have thought that he accidentally included me on that email, which he didn't, but he got paranoid. And what he did was he then sent me the whole chain of emails where I could see where he sent the nasty email to the chairman of the board. And had he never sent me that email apologizing to me, I would have never even seen that he sent a nasty email about me. So the guy was a total idiot. And I know that's a long story and it's a total stretch. I'm sure he's not anything you know close to what Ted Bundy is, but I guess Ted Bundy was one person in front of the people he knew and obviously a different person in front of the women that he killed. And this guy was definitely one person at lunch in a completely opposite person when I saw the email that he sent about me. So anyway, little side story for you. As far as podcast hosts that I'd like to meet in person and collab with, I mean, the list is long, but to name a few, um, there are some that stand out. I'd love to meet and collaborate with Jillian from Court Junkie, Mike and Mike from the Criminology Podcast, Dina of Twisted Philly, and I really hope Guy Raz of How I Built This tells mine and my husband's story someday because that would mean our business blew up and became very, very successful. I joke, of course, because that'll probably never happen, but hey, a girl can dream, right? I'd also love to collaborate with Melissa and Mandy of Moms and Murder because it would just be so much fun and it would be a nice break from me being so damn serious like I usually am on Murderish. So that would be fun. I'd also love, love, love to collaborate with Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods from Ear Hustle. And that, of course, will probably never happen. But Ear Hustle is definitely one of my favorite podcasts. And for that reason, I would love to find some way to collaborate with them. Swindled Podcast is another one um, that I love the concept. It's basically white collar crime and corporate greed. I really like that podcast and it would be fun to collaborate with that one as well. The ladies at Can We Cult Podcast asked, number one, what is your favorite movie of all time? Number two, what is your favorite beverage? And number three, what helps you bounce back after researching huge bummer stories? I have a couple favorite movies, but my absolute favorite is American Me. It's a brutal movie to get through, but it is definitely my favorite, always has been. And I'm a huge mafia, or I'm a huge fan of mafia movies. And so, of course, one of my favorites is Goodfellas. Ray Liotta was amazing in that movie. And um, Robert De Niro is amazing in every mafia movie he's been in. And really just anything, any movie he's in, he's awesome. Um, but I also love the Kill Bill series. I think that it's so entertaining and I love Quentin Tarantino and I just love a good female badass. As far as my favorite beverage, it's so boring and probably TMI, but my favorite 
beverage is water. And that's mostly because um, I've had kidney stones before and they suck really bad. And they scare me because they're literally worse than childbirth as far as the pain. So I drink a lot, a lot of water um, and I love to squeeze lemon into it. That makes it even better. But one of my absolute favorite drinks is coffee. I'm a total coffee addict. And if I could have an IV drip straight into my veins, I would do it if I didn't love the taste so much. My go-to adult beverage uh, is my version of a skinny Moscow mule. And I make it with vodka, LaCroix, a splash of ginger beer, and a freshly squeezed lemon. A Meyer lemon is preferable because the taste is just so awesome. But I mean, I love wine and beer, so I don't really discriminate much. And what helps me bounce back after bummer stories? It's definitely my daughter, Stevie. Uh, whenever I have done a deep dive into a murder story that has me feeling down, the first thing I do is just go hang out with her. She cracks me up. She's crazy. She's silly. And it quickly gets me into a good mood. Tanya Bales asks, if you could ask Dirty John one question and he had to tell the truth, what would it be? That is a great question, Tanya. And I'd ask him at what point in his life, like what age, he recalls having thoughts of taking advantage of people for his own purposes. I'd also ask him what was his biggest fear. And I would also ask him if he ever truly loved anyone. And if so, who and why? So that concludes the Q&A, you guys. These were some really great questions, and it's been so much fun to take a break from storytelling and from murder. It honestly feels like I just had a long chat with friends, so thank you. I really, really appreciate all of you who participated, and I hope you enjoyed the Q&A as much as I did. I want to mention that Murderish is now active on Instagram, so make sure and follow us there. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Murderish. I'm looking forward to seeing you all again very soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't be shy. Tell a friend. The word of mouth is powerful. You can follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter at Murderish Pod, and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. I have a closed group set up for us to discuss all things Murderish. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash murderish. If you choose to become a patron, you'll get some extra perks in exchange. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash murderish. Murderish merchandise is also available at two online stores. Links to the online stores are available in show notes and in the about section of the Murderish podcast Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish.